This is one of those moments when I'm actually calling for a response. Okay, so I'm warning you. Everybody warned? <laughs> is it well with your soul today? You are killing me, people. I'm going to try this again. I'm warning you now, all right? Is it well with your soul this morning? Yes. Oh, wow, I like it. Not, amen would have been good, but next time. All right. If we haven't met yet, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Speaking of glad you're here, if you were here last Sunday morning, we had a medical incident with uh, Rosie Brenneman, and uh, so glad that she is here with us today and feeling very well. They are so grateful for those of you who prayed and for those of you who helped medically. God is good. So last week, Pastor Thomas uh, took us through the previous passage here, and Encourage us with the phrase, embrace God's power to make whole disciples. We looked at the, the product of God's mission. They came and saw the grace of God. We also saw that in Antioch, that's when uh, God's people, his disciples, were first called Christians. They were first named that. And clearly, a distinct group. They gain this name and we see often that beautiful doctrine creates beautiful community. Fear was no match for God's purposes. God turns our fear into his fruit. I so love the challenge that was laid out for us to be bold enough to step out in faith and to share the good news. But maybe you're still struggling with the but how, and that's what you're asking, and I'm so glad you're asking that question because I would like to answer that for you. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be encouraging you to do here, our staff have started doing it, our elders will be doing it, and that is I want you to get into, the, into your website if you have one and sign up for blesseveryhome.com. In doing so, this will provide you with a list of your nearest neighbors. It will give you their names and addresses, and you can set yourself up to be receiving uh, daily emails to remind you to pray for them, and you'll pray for five of your neighbors per day. So I want to encourage you to do that. The neat part about that is it encourages you to, to pray for them, and then it encourages you to care for them and ultimately share with them and hopefully disciple them. So blesseveryhome.com. You'll be hearing more about it. We'll get it into our listings and into some of the things that you'll receive from us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 today, so I encourage you to turn there and be ready. And we'll see that God possesses supreme power, and he responds to the prayers of his church. Today's text is wonderful in so many ways. Incredible content. The story itself is incredible. We see some interesting contrasts here that are, are very engaging, and the message within it obviously is so very powerful. I'm going to back up a few verses into chapter 11 just again to set a little more context for us. So if you look with me at chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, starting our reading in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. 
And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. It was during the days of of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you now, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we trust that you have, uh, are pleased with the praises that we have lifted before you and that you've examined our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would just work in a mighty way today to bring glory and honor to yourself. Would you have your way in our hearts and lives? Father, would you help us to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear, and to respond appropriately? Father, we lift East Campus up before you. We ask your uh, blessing on the ministry there and for gospel preaching and and Bible teaching churches all around our nation and the world. May you be glorified today. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Again, for context, it's important. Remember, there was amazing things now happening happening in Antioch. God was working there. And Barnabas knew that Saul would be the right person to go there and minister, and we read that they go there and they minister for a year together, and then again, that's where they're called Christians. With the famine coming, here are these Gentile disciples send provisions back to Judea by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, things aren't good in Jerusalem at this time, and Luke is further confirming how Israel has rejected Christ. It was not safe to be a follower of Jesus in Jerusalem. It's interesting here that we see a sad irony that the Gentiles in Antioch are now loving the saints who are facing persecution back in Jerusalem. Now we have this ruler acting the way he was. And throughout history, we've seen these rulers who have used or misused their power and authority. They rule and reign using their position to do whatever they please. We think of ones like Hitler and Ivan the Terrible, Genghis Khan or Leopold II, or you can fill in that list with more. And one of the characters we see here in chapter 12 uh, certainly had aspirations of being a dominant leader. And here we have Herod, and he has now killed James and now imprisoned Peter. Now, for clarity, uh, Herod is really a title now. So it's not the same Herod... uh, like the nephew of, of Herod Antipas that would be the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And the, this would also be, or he would have been, Antipas would have been the, the nephew of him. And the grandson of Herod the Great, the one who ordered babies to be killed at the time of Christ's birth in order to get to Christ. And then Paul would later stand trial before this Herod's son, Agrippa II. So Herod beheads James. This is the brother of John. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder. And I would suggest to you here in the first couple of verses of of chapter 12 that we have some missing detail. And we don't know things like whether or not the church had time to pray for James or whether this happened too quickly. 
Uh, were, they, were they there when he was taken? Were they there when he was executed? Who else may have died at the hands of Herod? And you say, well, the text only says this, but I, I want you to look back again because it says that the king laid violent hands on some of those who belonged to the, uh, who belonged to the church. That suggests there was more than just James. We don't know what he did to them, what kind of suffering they were experiencing. Obviously, James was a higher-profile one to be killed. We simply just don't know. But what, what we do know is this pleases the Jews. So Herod, seeking more approval and more acclaim of the people, goes after Peter. If killing James gets him some of this acclaim and approval, how much more will he receive from killing Peter? At this point, it would seem that for Christians, Herod is a man to be feared. Herod had a bit of an issue, and it was a timing problem now. It's Passover. Passover is that time when the Jews celebrated what happened with the great exodus, when all the plagues came, and, and finally Pharaoh let them go because that angel of death passed over Egypt and killed the firstborn, but it passed over the homes of those Jews who had put the blood on the doorposts. It's a special time to them. They're celebrating it. It's not a time for an execution. So again, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Herod now has an additional problem that he knows nothing about, a far greater problem than timing. I resist sharing this example that I'm going to share with you today. And I wrestled quite a bit with the Lord about it as I was praying and preparing for this message. In my days of being a youth pastor, we had an annual trip to Kentucky for missions. We would take somewhere between 30 and 40 teenage uh, high school students and about 8 or 10 adults on this trip every year. When we'd go there, we would run three vacation Bible school teams that would go into these poorer areas of Kentucky, and we would go and run vacation Bible schools there. These were summer weeks that were always hard for me because they were incredibly draining. When you lead a trip, it's always draining anyway. But then trying to sleep in a hot, humid cabin with no electricity, no AC, uh, was always a battle for me. We finished our final VBS on a Friday about noon. We are all packing up. We'd got things ready, and now we were waiting for the other churches to come back and, and meet us so we could leave together. With the work done, I decided this was a great opportunity to take a quick nap in an air-conditioned church on the pew. A kid named Aaron came and woke me up. Aaron... Not supposed to have favorites, but he certainly was. He nudged me a little bit, and he leaned down, and he said, Hey, Will said I could ride his four-wheeler. Do you care if I go ride it? And I went, whatever, I don't care. Deeply tired. But now I'm awake, and I'm laying there thinking, Oh, that's not a good idea. That's against our rules. So I wake myself up, I sit up, I'm kind of very groggy, and I'm thinking, I need to go and tell him. 
So I walked out of the church, came around the building, walked across the bridge over the creek and walked up into the field, flagged him down. He wasn't wearing a helmet. I said, Aaron, come here. I said, go park this thing. It's against our rules. He goes, but you said I was was half asleep. He said, all right. And I walked back around the the building, crossed the bridge. And as I turned the corner, one of our girls let out a horrible scream and I heard a nasty sound. I walked around the corner to a site that I will never forget. I remember saying, oh, Lord, no, no. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was happening was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter's asleep between guards. And I want to just stop here and say, wait a minute. James was just beheaded. Peter is now captive until Passover is done the next day. And Peter is sound asleep. Does that catch anybody funny? If you knew your execution would happen in the morning, would you be able to sleep? Would you be deeply asleep? I mean, how? Complete exhaustion? Possibly. Narcolepsy, it's kind of a daytime thing, but whatever. Maybe he's remembering that that he'd been freed from prison earlier. It's very possible, even likely. Yet he had to be thinking about the fact that James didn't escape the sword. Even remembering that Stephen died, martyred for his faith. We've got to ask, what could it have been? I mean, what what gives him this kind of peace? Just a couple weeks ago, I reminded you of, of that morning fish fry on the beach. Remember that in John chapter 21? Remember when Jesus, after the resurrection, is going to Peter and he's saying, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Look what it said in 18. If I can get there. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. 
Remember after that, Peter turns to Jesus and points to John and says, well, what about him? How's he, how's he going to die? And remember, Jesus says, what's that to you, right? But maybe Peter remembers that Jesus says, when you are old. And Peter's sitting there, chained between these guards, knowing that Herod has all the plans in the world to execute him, going, I'm just not old enough to die. We don't know. Four squads of four, four soldiers, and they would, they would change positions every three hours to stay alert. And now an angel's in the midst. And I have so many questions here. I mean, this light shines in there. Is this illumination from the angel? Is it his glory? Very possible. Does he have a torch, a flashlight, a lightsaber? I don't know, something. It's okay to laugh, by the way. It's, not, it's no violation of the rules, unless you're still thinking about that. What's going on? And then, then the guards, how can you have 16 guards not know? Are they frozen in time? Do they just literally freeze, or, or are they all asleep somehow? And don't miss the fact that the angel strikes Peter. He strikes him to wake him up. Apparently hard to wake up. I mean, he's really asleep. He's, he's having a good night. And then the, the instruction, get up quickly and get, put your, get your clothes on. Would an angel need to rush? W was there some urgency here? Would he have been outgunned by these guards? Were they to unfreeze or to wake up? The angel can make the chains fall off of him, but Peter's got to dress himself. Again, Peter's still not with it. He's struggling to wake up. Maybe you know people like that. They just don't wake up easy, and they can talk to you, look right through you, right? But they're not with it. They walk past the guards. The gates open of their own accord. They're out in the street, and the angel leaves him. And then in that moment, it really hits Peter. And he says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. What a moment for him, right? Like, wow. It only gets better. Look at verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. I want to ask you this morning just to enjoy that scene for a moment. Just enjoy it. It's beautiful. I love it when our humanity shows up in ways like this. Imagine Peter's excitement to tell this story, right? 
He's free. He's amazed. It's, it's set in for him. That's what we saw in the end of verse 11 there. And now he wants to go and tell those who would share in that joy. Great news is fun to share, isn't it? He can't wait to tell them. Part, his heart is racing partly from maybe running to the home, but also just out of excitement. He's at Mary's home. This is Barnabas's aunt's house, the John Mark's mother, John Mark being the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And you know what it is to try to knock in such a way as to wake up just the right person, but not everybody. You know, he's doing that gentle knock, but he wants in there a little bit louder until he gets attention. Loud enough. And bless Rhoda. She hears. She becomes so overjoyed that she leaves Peter outside. What a delightful account. Can't you just hear Peter going, wait, 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 let me in. <laughs> Looking around, thinking this is going to be bad. Then, right, we read of the magnificent faith of those who were earnestly praying. They get the news that their prayers have been answered and they shout for joy. They don't, do they? That's not what happens. Girl, you are crazy. You are out of your mind. You have lost touch with reality. It sadly shows that they had accepted that Peter would die. They're praying to God, but accepting that he would die. It's interesting that they say it's probably his angel that had two potential meanings for that time for those people. They often believe that there was an attending angel, that people had attending angels, so they're thinking it's his attending angel, or they had believed that he had died, and this is his angel at the door. Yet what a joyful moment for them when they hear again that knocking and discover that it's him. In their excitement, they're loud, and Peter's got to shush them. He's doing this, right, <laughs> bringing them in. He tells the story and tells him to pass it on to the brothers and to James. This would have been the half-brother of Jesus. And he departs. We're not done here. Look at 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. 
Imagine it, God's power creates a disturbance, causes a stir. And Herod reacts to his embarrassment or his shame by killing the centuries. Even though I'm sure they all had the same account of going, I I really don't know, I, I didn't see anything, I don't know how it happened. Someone else must take the blame for what Herod could not control. And understand, Herod believes that he has the right to take life as he pleases. Angered and probably embarrassed, he leaves Judea for Caesarea. But things don't go there well for him there. Dressed in his royal garb, Josephus offers us greater details about it. He delivers an oration. And the people respond favorably, and the people respond to worshiping him, declaring the voice of a God, not of a man. And Luke records for us immediately, without delay, without a pause, he dies, eaten by worms, he breathes his last breath. Why? We're told right there, because he did not give God the glory. Don't miss the contrast. Here this arrogant man receives the acclaim, the uh, applause, thinks he controls everything, but dies shamefully in contrast to Peter who lives and gives God the glory. The results, you can't miss them in verse 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. Our God cannot be stopped. He will have his way for his glory. That Friday when I ran back to the bridge, the girl who had been screaming was pointing down into the creek I came to the edge to see Aaron's motionless body face down in a rocky stream with blood flowing down stream through the rocks. A few of us hurried down the steep bank of the creek to bring his limp body out. He was not breathing. We rolled him onto his side and got him to cough out the water, and he began to breathe. The locals told us it could be as long as 45 minutes for an ambulance, so with three guys on each side of him, we placed him on a sleeping bag, and we brought him into the church van on the bench with three behind him and three in front of him, and we were just holding him and keeping pressure on all of his wounds. We drove as quickly as we could and intercepted the ambulance on the way back. We passed him off to the EMTs and they put him in the ambulance. We sent one of our students with him. And the five of us who were left stood there stunned and bloody. And at that point, adrenaline gave way to emotion. We drove back and corralled the teams and arrived at the hospital. 
Now I could call his mother. We weren't in cell phone range before. I knew her well. I called her and I said, Kim, and she said, is he dead? I said, I don't know. She said, he's hurt real bad. She said, you know, the Lord told me today that something would happen to him. I was fearful to go in, afraid of what I would encounter. I asked the students to pray and to march around the hospital. I came in to find out he was alive but needing to be flown to Lexington. Skull fractures, two crushed vertebrae, many deep cuts, and need of a life flight. I went out and told the team, I commissioned them to pray for a helicopter because the person behind the counter said, it's going to be a while before we can get a helicopter. I said, what are we talking? He said, at least two hours. I said, there's nothing else we can do? And he said, I'll try. The team continued to march around that hospital, drawing a lot of attention, <laughs> praying and singing. I was inside going back and forth between Aaron and the desk, asking for updates. A text came from one of my leaders saying, we see a helicopter. I turned to the guy in front of me saying, would that be for him? And he says, no. I text back, it's not coming here. A minute later, two of them came in and said, there's a helicopter and it's going to land. The guy behind the counter goes, all of a sudden, this team came in with a gurney. They were a Rocky Mountain rescue team. What was interesting is that we were in the Appalachians. They were in the area and heard the dispatch. Here I was, the pastor, the leader, right? Commissioning them to pray, commissioning them to ask God what, to do only what God can do without expecting an answer and finding it hard to believe that our answer to prayer had arrived. He was transported to Lexington, treated there for several days and multiple surgeries, titanium rods in his back, months of physical therapy. They weren't sure he would walk, but he walks today. I talked to him Thursday on the phone Next month, he starts his new job as a life flight helicopter pilot for the same region of Kentucky. That was so pivotal in his life. It shaped him so much. God was working in so many ways. And myself and those leaders and those students learned something about the power of God. He used it in so many ways. It was just such a powerful impact. Folks, I just want to wind this down by saying we must never doubt how powerful our God is. We must never doubt it. Herod foolishly thought he could stand against God, and he died shamefully trying. Peter trusted God and humbly gave him the credit and lived to tell about it. 
our God is incredible. Let me just close, down, close by saying, it is wise to fear God more than you fear man. God has the supreme power to accomplish his purposes for his glory. And pray with the spirit of expectation. How often do we find ourselves praying as sort of a last resort and just kind of thinking, oh, well, this probably won't work, but I'll try it. Really? Our God is a great God. Peter was imprisoned because he wouldn't stop telling the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he, that he died on the cross on our behalf, his blood was poured out for our sins, but he rose again in victory over the grave, and he invites us to be his children through faith. And we know that it is by this that we can say, it is well with my soul. And Peter could sleep that night because it was well with his soul. Because no matter what would happen, he knew his God was powerful.